doesn't like a good rags-to-riches story, uh, and so probably one of the wealthiest people in America, uh, who's now dead, but you probably know the name Andrew Carnegie. How many of y'all have heard the name Andrew Carnegie? Andrew Carnegie was born in Scotland in 1835. His dad owned a small family business, which had been passed down through the family. And, uh, and because of the Industrial Revolution, his dad's business went out of business, and they were poor. And so the Carnegie family decided to take a leap of faith and move to the United States. And guess what city they moved to? Anybody know what city they moved to? Pittsburgh, right? And so at age 12, Andrew Carnegie found himself with his siblings and his family in a one-bedroom apartment. They were all sleeping on the floor. And by the age of 13, he was working a full-time job at a textile factory, right? How many of y'all send your 13-year-olds out to go, hey, go get a full-time job and do education, right? Non, a couple of you, you're wise, okay? So Shortly after that, after working at the textile factory, Andrew Carnegie took a job as a telegraph office as a messenger, and at the young age of 17, he made sure he got to know all the movers and shakers at the telegraph office, because you can imagine to send a telegraph in the late 1800s would be expensive, so he would hang out with the movers and shakers in Pittsburgh, he got to know their names, before long he was working, he got to know the local owner of the railroad company, he got a job at the railroad company, he started making good money, and from there, he invested in a company. What did Andrew Carnegie make? Anybody know? Pittsburgh Steelers! That's where you got your name! I bet you didn't know that. Any Steeler fans here? Raise your hand. Boo. All right, yes, okay, whatever. They stole a Super Bowl from my favorite team. But anyway, I'm not bitter about it. Not bitter about it. Um, by 1900, Andrew Carnegie was producing more steel than most countries were producing right out of Pittsburgh. And in 1901, Andrew Carnegie sold his steel empire to a guy by the name of J.P. Morgan. He sold his steel empire for four hundred and eighty million dollars. Now, to put that in modern dollars, and by the way, I had this story, I read this story probably a decade ago at least, but to put it in modern dollars a decade ago, it would have been worth one hundred and twenty billion dollars, making him, at the time that I read the story, twice as wealthy as America's wealthiest man at the time. His name was Bill Gates. It may be Elon Musk now, depending on how Tesla, Twitter, and SpaceX are all doing for Elon. So anyway, but there you go, rags to riches. So young people, you want to do something significant? I always say, like, develop an app. Develop a social media app if you want to do something significant. Who doesn't like a good rags to riches story, right? We, as Christians, live, and I said this two weeks ago, we kind of live in opposite world. We kind of live in opposite world. If we're going to honor the Lord in our spiritual journey, very often we have to do the opposite and think the opposite of the way that the rest of the world thinks so that we can have life as God intended for us to have it. And so this morning is opposite world. If we're going to serve others, we got to take on the mindset of Christ, which is a, actually a riches 
to rag story. It's the opposite of Andrew Carnegie. It's the opposite of what many of us dream of. It's opposite world. And so this morning, I'm going to assume a couple things. First of all, I'm, the target of my sermon is to Christians, okay? And so here's the deal. If you're not yet a Christian and you're here this morning, you, I'm glad you're here. And there's probably a reason you're here. You're trying to figure this thing called life out. We just sang that song, Rescue, I Need You, Jesus. And, and my hope is as you journey with with us at Coastal, you realize all the things of this world will not give you life. That's why the Christians were singing out, this world has nothing for me. And you're looking back at them going, that's weird. Why are you singing that? Because all the things of the world will not satisfy your soul. It's not till you understand I'm a sinner, I'm broken, and the only gap between me and God's holiness is the person and work of Christ and I receive Christ, that you will find life, okay? And so I just want you to know that on the front end. If you're investigating Christ, that's the, the word. We use the word gospel a lot, which means good news. And we want you to know the good news. You can be reconnected with your creator through the person and work of Christ, okay? The target of this sermon, though, is to Christians. I'm assuming that you have been transformed in your mind and in your heart by the good news of the gospel. And so with that, the overflow of knowing Christ then is opposite world. That if we're going to find life, we find it in serving and loving others. And that's what the Apostle Paul says. So check this out in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one mind. What is Paul talking about? He's talking to a group of people that he's assuming are transformed by Jesus. What we're going to talk about today, serving others, it's not a, it's not a message of do. It's a message of transformation. And if we know Christ, we take on Christ's mindset, and Christ loves others. Remember what Jesus was asked? Jesus, sum up the Old Testament. What did Jesus say? Oh, let me sum up the Old Testament for you. It's easy. Love God with all your what? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said, but the second is just like it. You got to do what? Love others as yourself, right? That's the overflow. And so point number one, like when we think of others, Paul says it brings joy and unity. And he says, I, I want to encourage you to this joy and unity in Christ, letter A, right? This is encouragement to joy and unity. If we're going to know others, we, we have to know Christ. And this serving of others, Paul says, is birthed out of this idea of affection and sympathy. I love that he uses those two words. Listen, when we know Christ, it's not just we serve others out of duty, but there's a, there's a heart transformation of affection, and there's a heart transformation of sympathy. We, we, we have a, God in, it begins to develop in us a, a soft spot for, for those that are suffering and it requires that we slow down enough and we listen and we care. At Coastal, we, uh, we, um, our vision statement here is we want to develop, maybe you guys know it, we want to develop what? Authentic followers of Jesus Christ. Now, for years and years and years, we said there's three ways we wanted to do that. We've added a fourth way. We've added a fourth thing to our process, but for now, we'll do the three, all right? And we do that in three real critical ways. Number one is what? 
to connect, right? And how do we connect? Very specific. We want you to connect in corporate worship. So you're here this morning. You connect to God in corporate worship with other believers, all right? We're going to talk about that next week, that Hebrews tells us we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. This is part of the banquet feast, Psalm 23, that Christ, God, builds a a banquet feast in the presence of our enemies, corporate worship. We connect to God through corporate worship. We grow. How do we grow, church? You got to be in a small group, right? And that's where you're going to get with others. You're going to the, the the word of God fleshed out with other people, and we care for one another, okay? In a small group, and then we serve, and we're very specific about what we how we serve. We serve in a anybody know a ministry and a mission of Coastal Church, okay? And why are those two so important? Well, the ministry part is, and I hate this language, and I'll have better language for it this morning, but it, it's kind of the idea of serving those inside the walls of the church. The reason I hate the walls of the church is because the church in the building, church is us, but you guys get what I'm saying, okay? And so for us to, to, do, to, do, um, to do corporate worship requires hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of volunteer hours. We, we would not exist if we didn't have volunteers saying, I want to be a part of serving the body of Christ, the people of God in corporate worship and in the ministries of you, if you will, of Coastal Church. We wouldn't exist without that. And we want you to do missions. We want you to go outside to people that are not yet a part of a church. We want you to love on them and develop a heart of affection and sympathy. Okay, And we couldn't do that if we also didn't go outside the walls of the church. And so my challenge for you this morning is if all you're doing is is sitting and soaking, like, man, I come to corporate worship and man, it ministers to me, or maybe it doesn't minister to me. Maybe you're sitting there this morning, you're like, he's, what's he babbling on about? Or it's just too hot in here. Or, the music was, I don't like that song. And all of a sudden, if that's what, if you're not giving back, suddenly corporate worship just becomes this me-focused thing where you think it's me, 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 me. And God is opposite world. If we're going to know our God, we have to love and give back. And we do that by developing affectionate and sympathetic hearts. And when we do this together, there's a unity, letter C. Paul says that we serve with one accord, right? There's a a unifying nature to serving together, right? Um, One of the things that I try to encourage you to do is, and I say this every, often, I say this often, I really, really want you to go on a missions trip, if you've never been on one of Coastal's mission trips, like we do many every year because we believe we should serve this community and every nation. That's what Jesus told us to do, go to all the nations. And so, and part of it, and when you go is you just see that God's not a York County God, right? Or whatever county you live in here on the peninsula. Like, man, you, you see that God is a global God and he's doing stuff all across the nations. But also you go with that team and you develop kind of a unity with the team that you go with, right? You get some inside experiences that the rest of the church doesn't have, and you develop some inside jokes. Usually somebody does something stupid, and you laugh at them, right? And you have kind of this inside joke, and, and no one else has that inside joke because there's a unity when we serve together, okay? And, and by the way, I said there's a fourth thing that we're adding to Coastal's discipleship process, and that's multiply. And we together are planning gospel-centered campuses. I call them gospel outpost around the peninsula and maybe even further if the Lord gives us the opportunity. And and so there's a unity when we serve others for the cause of the gospel together, which leads me to number two, right, which is I've already hit at, right? But Paul tells us to look out for others, okay? Look out for others. And so circling back to Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, the apostle Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility... 
Count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests. By the way, I'm going to park there a little bit this morning. That really stuck out to me as I was meditating on this. But also on the interest of others. And so point number two, the Apostle Paul says, I want you to look out for others. And, I, and he gives us an exhortation here that's got like a negative and a positive side, right? Kind of the, the negative. He says, we look out for others not out of selfish ambition, right? This is the idea of trying to get ahead. This is the motive base. Like you can, you can serve others and still be self-centered. Did you know that? Uh, and we see that in our community, like I think sometimes in politics, we serve others trying to get ahead, right? And that can happen. And so it can, not always, but it can be self-centered. It's a, the idea of keeping score, you know, look at me. It's selfish, right? Look at look how I'm doing it, which, by the way, we do this in marriage. Anybody keeping score in their marriage, right? What is, what is the, and you're like, no, I'm not keeping score. Like, you know, I, I, listen, I've done enough marriage counseling where I've had people sit in my office and the whole time they're getting historical, you know, and it's not hysterical, just historical, all the past sins, right? And by the way, what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13? Love keeps no, what? Record of wrong. How many, how many of you in your marriage, every time it gets a little tense, your spouse brings something up that needs to be adjusted, and all of a sudden it gets historical. Do you remember when? That's keeping score, right? And we tend to keep score, and that can be selfish when we serve others, right? Do nothing from selfish ambition. Do nothing, Paul says, out of conceit. This is, this is raising your platform. This is pride, Okay, so here's the deal. You ready? God invites us to be a part of what he's doing to spread the name and fame of Jesus Christ. God invites us to be a part, but God doesn't need us. God does not need Sean Brown to, to have the gospel go forward through Coastal Church to however, whatever. God doesn't need me. Anybody want to say amen? Thank you. Marty, usually amen that. And then I feel like I'm going to get hit by a bus on the way home or something. But guess what? God doesn't need you either. He invites us to be a part of what he's doing. And so it's, we're not serving out of conceit, right? We're, we're, it's not about you. And so Paul says, here's the negative. But he also says, here's the positive. He says, it's the idea, letter B, of humility. Count others as more significant than yourself. Humility is, is not thinking less of yourself. Let me say that again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. What's the difference? It's okay to be self-aware and say, man, God has designed me with certain abilities and gifts. God doesn't need those gifts to forward the gospel, but he chooses to use them. And if it blesses someone else, because here's the deal. If you think humility is the idea of thinking less of yourself, when someone gives you a compliment, you don't know what to do with it, right? Like you get real awkward about it. Like, oh, you stumble. And it's okay when someone says, man, you're your ministry, your spiritual formation class, your small group leadership, your, the sermon you gave, the song that you sang, it really blessed me. It's going, well, praise God for that. Like, that's a God, it's a grace of the Lord that he uses us. But humility is like, it's not about me. It's thinking of yourself less. And, and, and Paul encourages us to do that. And he makes a really a significant statement here that it really, for the first time as I've meditated on this passage many, many times, he says this. He says, look out not only for your interest, 
but also for the interests of others. And what stuck out to me is I think this speaks to a biblically ordered life. He doesn't say, don't ever look out for your own interests, right? He says, look out not only for your own interest, but also for the interests of others. Why is that important? Because to have a biblically ordered life, there are biblical responsibilities that God gives us that we are to look out for. Everybody with me? So in other words, you need to provide for your family. Take care of your family. Make sure they have plenty of food. Make sure they have shelter. Make sure they have health care, right? Make sure that you're providing, but you're not in so much debt accumulating stuff that everyone says you need that you don't have margin in your life to look out for others. And so we, we have biblical responsibilities. I've seen this, by the way. I have seen this. I have seen people whose private life is in shambles, right? But, and I go, man, what's the deal? Why aren't you going to work anymore? Well, I'm serving the poor in downtown. I've seen this happen. I'm like, well, you're like way out of balance, right? You, you have biblical responsibilities. I've seen people serve at the church and serve at the church, serve at the church while their family behind the scenes is falling apart. If that's the case, you, you are biblically out of balance, right? We have biblical responsibilities that the Lord has called us to do, yet inside of that, and by the way, I've seen this too. Well, I can't serve at the church because it's family first, right? Family, 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 family. You're running all over the country doing family stuff, and there's no margin to serve in your local church, and all of a sudden the family becomes an idol. There are biblical responsibilities that the Lord gives us, and man, your life needs to be in order, and there needs to be margin. A well-ordered life has margin to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish, including looking out for someone that needs help. Everybody with me on that? And there should be margin in our lives to do all of it. And God expects us to live within inside of our means, give a good day's work, take care of things of first importance, and then have time, talent, and treasure left over to help serve others. Everybody with me? And so that's part of humility. It's not an either or, it's a both and. And number three, the only way that's going to happen, number three, is if we have the mind of Christ. Now, listen, I have probably... Every time I think I've preached this passage, it's been with the idea that this is definitely a, a, the, a theologically rich passage of the humiliation of Jesus Christ and then his exaltation, which we'll get to at the end. I'll be point number four. It's definitely that. But as I was praying through this and studying this, it's also in the context of challenging us as Christians how to love others. Okay, And so, so Paul says, if we're going to love and serve others, number three, we have to have the mind, the mind, what was Jesus thinking, if you will? When he left heaven and he came to earth and he took on flesh and he died in our place, and what was he thinking? And so we get that here in Philippians chapter 2, at least a little bit, right? Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
And so as Paul is exhorting the church of Philippi to serve one another, to love one another, have sympathy towards one another, have an affectionate heart towards one another, he illustrates with this beautiful picture of Jesus Christ, that Jesus did not, letter A, this is like the beautiful riches to rag story, Jesus did not clutch his rights. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. The word grasped is to clutch, to hold on to tightly. Now, this is hard for you, and it's hard for me, because we're Americans. And Americans have a bill of what? We have a bill of rights. I know what I deserve. And we bring that bill of rights everywhere, man. It spills over into the workplace and into our marriages and into our communities and into our churches. If we're going to serve others, Jesus said he did not consider equality with God something to be clutched. I mean, talk about a bill of rights. And he emptied himself. Now, there's tons of ink that have been spent on what does it mean that Jesus emptied himself. You know, I'm, I'm too dumb to even understand half of it, right? But here's the deal, right? He took on, the idea is that he took on flesh, human flesh. Listen, one day when our faith becomes sight and we see Jesus face to face, you ready for something like amazing? Jesus is going to have an earthly glorified body forever and ever and ever. Like, that's how much he loved you. That's how much he didn't clutch his rights. He's... Some, I don't get it all, but he took on flesh. And he, it's time here on earth, he temporarily set aside, limited, limited his glory. I don't know what all that means, and I don't want to get into like some kind of heresy, but there was a self-limiting for a season. And he submitted himself to the will of the Father. Father, what is it that you want me to do? Paul says that he became a bondservant. Listen, we, that's like a really nice English word for the word slave. Christ said, it's not about me. I'm not going to clutch. Father, what is it that you want me to do to save people? He illustrated this in John chapter 13, right? And you guys know the story of John chapter 13. The disciples sat down. They went to a pretty wealthy house. They sat down at a table. And in Bible times, when you would eat... You would uh, sit on the floor, okay? And you would sit and kind of kneel. Your feet would go behind you. By the way, the older I get, I'm like, thank God whoever invented the chair, okay? Like, that's a huge step forward. You know, getting up after dinner, I'm already full. I ate too much. Now I got to get up off the floor. Like, that's super hard. So, but you go to a rich person's house, and, and the person of the house would have a slave, a bondservant. And the bondservant would take a water bowl and a towel and go around and wash the feet. So the disciples show up for dinner. They all sit down, and there's no bondservant that's stepping up to do the chore that needed to be done. And so who does it? Jesus, right? John chapter 30, he takes a towel. He wraps it around his waist. By the way, if any of y'all... Raise your hand if you've ever done foot washing. Raise your hand high. Ever done foot washing? Raise them high so I can see how many. Okay. I'm going I'm to circle back to that. Okay. By the way, when you have your feet washed, it's humbling. Right? 
The person serving you, it's like humbling. And so Jesus wraps the town, he starts washing the disciples' feet. And what happens when he gets to Peter? It gets, Peter's always weird. It gets weird with Peter, right? He's like, you're not washing my feet, you know, forget it. Are you crazy? He's very humbled by it. Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part with me. And he's like, well, then we'll take a shower, you know? Like, okay, weird. No, no, Peter, not that. Just, just the feet kind of thing, you know? Just good old Peter, open mouth and surf foot. Um, and he washes the feet. As a servant, he takes on the form of a servant. And then he says this, it's very important. John chapter 13, verse 14, he says, If I then your Lord... I, listen, the word Lord, we don't, we, don't really, we don't really have that in our culture. This is like, he's the boss. I'm, I'm the boss. I'm the king of kings. I'm the Lord of... I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. What's it say next there, church? You also ought to do what? I know some of you are like, that's got to be a metaphor, right? He can't really mean that. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done. Now, he says I've given you an example, so I do think that the large portion of this verse is metaphorical. But I do want to challenge you. Ready? Every year at Holy Week, we do a Monday Thursday service. How many of you, you don't have to show your hands, how many of you figured out that the Monday Thursday service is a foot washing service and said, I'm tapping out on that one? <laughs> Listen, I don't blame you. Uh, two, two years ago, came to the Monday Thursday service, and there was one of our elders who served alongside of me in this church the whole time I've been here, over 20 years, and he's sitting by himself, and I don't see his wife. And so my wife, you know, Genesis 2, helpmate, elbows me. You need to go wash his feet. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me, right? Like, and so I went up and I said, hey, man, I need to wash your feet. I saw his wife the next Sunday. I said, don't you ever send your husband to Monday Thursday service by himself again, okay? Just to be clear, that's for, there'll be church discipline for that. So, um, listen, listen, I, I want to challenge you, because here's the deal. We do Monday, Thursday service, and we get about less than a tenth of our Sunday morning attendance. It will, it will shape you to come and wash someone's feet. And Jesus says, do as I've done. And in that, it, it teaches you something about humility, right? Let her be. Like, it's, this, is, this is a riches to If we're going to serve, it's a riches to rag story. Christ took on the form of that which he created. The creator of the universe took on what he created. And by the way, the scripture even gives us a little insight into his appearance. He probably doesn't look like Jim Caviezel. You know, he is the actor in The Passion. Every time I see him, I'm like, man, that's a good-looking dude right there. I wish I had that look. Yeah, I do want to look like Jesus, you know? Uh, but Isaiah 53 says, man, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. I wonder if we get to heaven and go, you're not Jim Caviezel. How many of us spent more time making sure we look good this week than serving others? Christ took on flesh, took on the created, and let her see, humbled himself. I'm running out of time here. He humbled himself. 
And humility is a choice. You choose to die to yourself. You choose to die to your desires. You choose to live for others. It's a choice to obey Christ. It's a choice to obey God's word. It's a choice to get rid of your selfish desires. And by the way, can you imagine a world? I mean, seriously, can you imagine a world where everybody looked out for others' needs as more important than themselves? Woo! Imagine if when you walked in to your home, your spouse says, you know what? I just need to take care of your needs. Imagine if you're middle schooler. You walk in like, hey, mom or dad, what do you need? I'm here to help. You would be like, that's transformation right there. That is gospel-centered transformation. Imagine if you walked into your house. I know it's been a tough day at work. I get the cubicle mate was a nightmare all day. But she said, I'm here to serve you guys. How would that change your marriage? How would that change your workplace? How would that change your church? How would that change your community? How would that change your school? How would that change your relationship with your, your roommate? And we have to do this with this mindset. And this mindset, point number four. We have to understand that God sees and God rewards. Now, Philippians 2.9 is uh, definitely about the Christ humiliated himself, and then God exalted him. But I think there's a principle here as well for us. And so Paul writes about Christ. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and at the and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, this is obviously about the humiliation and exaltation of Christ. This is obviously as Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. God exalted him and rewarded him. And Jesus is now the object of the Trinity. He's the object of our worship, okay? That's why our songs focus on Christ and who his person and his work to us. But I do think that Paul is also reminding us subtly here that as Jesus humbled himself in obedience to the Father, the Father sees and the Father rewards Listen, when we serve others, the mindset that we have to have is we may never get an earthly attaboy. You may serve at your church and say, man, that stinking pastor of mine, he never come back and pat me on the back and, and said, way to go. And I hope that I do and I want to, but this passage reminds that God sees and God rewards. 1 Corinthians 15 is one of my favorite passages we preached on a couple years ago, and, um, and it's 57 verses of the importance of the resurrection, very deep theological passage of like the resurrection of Christ is the linchpin of everything we believe as Christians. Listen, if you're investigating Christ today, you're not yet a Christian, but you're here. Thank you. I'm really glad you're here. You're investigating claims of Christ. Like, this is it. If Jesus, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, dead, go do something else this morning. You're wasting your time. But if Jesus raised from the dead, it changes everything. Okay? I always say this, if you step out of your grave, I'm going to believe what you say, okay? I do your funeral, three days later you show up at my house, I'm like, okay, I'm doing what you tell me to do. Like, how do I get that? Um, 57 verses of theology and one verse of practical application. And here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. That means perseverance. That means hard work. 
That means it's fatiguing at times. Immovable. That means that our doctrine doesn't shift. It means that if the culture thinks we've lost our minds and it's biblically based, we've got to stand on the Word of God. Immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Why is it not in vain? Because Christ is risen from the dead and God sees and God rewards. Amen? I say this all the time. We are not heavenly minded enough. We're too earthly minded. I've been serving here and I didn't get any attaboys. My spouse never notices when. Changing diapers. These kids are never going to thank you for that, okay? But God sees and God rewards. Always. In fact, I've heard teachers say this. We should serve God even if we don't get a reward. You ever heard that? I'm not sure that's biblical. I think we're to be heavenly minded and we are to be thinking about eternity and how God is going to take care of us forever and ever 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 and ever. And that's just the beginning of eternity. Amen? Because the Lord sees and the Lord rewards. I, uh, let's finish with this. I'll close with a prayer. I, uh, how many of y'all have ever read The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman? Okay, it's a great book. I really should read it. He talks about basically in all his years of counseling, people generally have five kind of love, five categories they feel that they're loved in, in those five categories. And so my wife and I did that book many, many years ago. And uh, he kind of says that when you, most people have like lean into two of the categories of the five love languages. Okay. And so as my wife and I were reading this, we got done and she's like, I think I'm all five of them. And I'm like, he says you can't be. I'm having a hard time remembering that you're one of them, let alone all five of them. You know, like, that's not really fair. And so as we read the book, like, you know, I, my love language is um, words of affirmation. And so, and so I tell my wife all the time, not that I'm keeping score, but, like, I'm telling her, like, like, you have it really easy. Like, all you have to do is from any couch in the house, just sit there and tell me how great I am. And I feel loved. Like, that's so simple. Your love language is acts of service. Like, I have to get up and do stuff. Like, do you, you know how exhausting that is? Like... And so what I've done through the years is when I'm doing the dishes, I call it out. Hey, doing the dishes. <laughs> there went my reward, right? Like, and she's like, well, since you made over half of them, you know, it's about time. And it's not really humility. But it got me to thinking, like, man, what if, what if we took on the mind of Christ and we really humbly served each other? So listen, this is not doing to earn God's favor. This is, I've been transformed and Christ is in me by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm being transformed to the mind of Christ. Okay, so I want to give you two action steps this morning. Number one, okay, man, God is doing amazing things in the life of Coastal. Amazing. And if you've been coming for any length of time and you're just sitting and soaking and soaking and soaking, we need you to serve. You need to serve others in this church by serving in a ministry. We're getting, last, how many of y'all were really excited when you heard that, that Williamsburg had 400 on Easter, our previous service, 400. Incredible, right? Okay, you ready? We're sending every bit 
behind the scenes, I keep saying the word losing. We're, lo- we're not losing, we're sending, okay? We're sending every bit of 100 volunteers from Yorktown, every bit, every bit. So put that slide back up, okay? Here's the deal. I need you, if you've been sending, so we need 100 people to go, I'm going to serve at Coastal, Yorktown, so that we can send for the purposes of the gospel in Williamsburg. And we have places like security and children and coffee and tech and music. We need, if you're, if you're musically talented, we need you to audition. Like, like there is a place for you, just the parking. I, I'm sure I'm leaving things out. Security. There is a place for you to serve. What? What do you need? Drummers? What do you need? I don't know. They, they need something up here. Audition, okay, if you're skilled. But we need you to serve. All right, number two, get your note sheet out. Final thing, and I'll wrap up with prayer. Get your note sheet out. So serve the church, and then I want you to serve in the community. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you right now to write down one name. As I was preaching, maybe God gave you a name. One name, say, I'm going to serve this person this week. So write it down. You don't have to write down what you're going to do. Just, hey, this is the name God's bringing to mind. I'm going to look for an opportunity to serve them. So here's the deal. Here's the, here's the hope I have with that. All right. If we have about 13 to 1,500 adults on Sunday morning, imagine if this week there are 13 to 1,500 random acts of kindness in the community. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that make a difference? And we're doing it to honor the Lord, right? The mind of Christ. I'm here to serve you. So write your name down and then leave this week going, God, I'm looking for the opportunity. What is it that you want me to do to serve them as Christ humbly served me? Amen, church? All right, let me do this uh, prayer team. Come on up under the screens. Uh, if you came in this morning, you have a prayer need. Our prayer team is always here for you, man. Stay after, stay late, pray with them. They want to serve you in that way. They would love to pray with you. Uh, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you for taking care of our biggest need, our sin problem. And you did it by sending your greatest gift, your one and only son. God, many of us in this room, we've been transformed by the gospel of Christ. And now we need to be transformed in our minds to, to serve others, God, that we would not grasp our rights, that we think somehow we deserve Christ did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, taking on flesh. God, wrapping a towel around his waist, washing the disciples' feet. God, help us on Monday, Thursday to do that literally and help us to do it metaphorically throughout the week, God, to serve others as we have been served so that we can exalt the heartbeat of Christ, which is affection and sympathy. God, life is hard. We can be difference makers in the lives of others. God, if you would so choose us to use that, use us that way this week, we want to be used. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.